0: Talk, I talk. Douglas Maurice, Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com. Your Ohio State coverage team. Stephen Means is uh, still on furlough. He will be back for the Tuesday pod. Uh, he will be back to work Monday. He will be back for the Tuesday pod. We're not naming our Rapid Fire Friday podcasts, but we're doing a Rapid Fire Friday podcast from the 419. Here we go. What player on the roster would hurt the potential Ohio State dynasty the most if they decided to quit football completely? I don't want to throw out a career-ending injury. For example, if Justin Fields quit, it would only potentially hurt for a year, but that could be a devastating year to the dynasty. This texter in the 419 says my answer would be Paris Johnson. In my opinion, it could set our offensive line back on depth, especially with J.C. Latham appearing to be on his way to Alabama. Nathan Baird, what is your answer to who you really don't want to quit if you're a Buckeye fan?
1: So I considered a couple of other guys. I think you could make cases for Zach Harrison. I think you could make a case in a little bit of an odd way, even for someone like Luke Whipler and what that means. If if you take one of the starting potential centers out for the next two, three years, when you've got Harry Miller now, probably moving to guard or whatever. But I think really the answer is the same one our texter gave. I think it's Paris Johnson because of what he means as the, for lack of a better term, franchise left tackle, going forward, if he doesn't win the job, the right tackle job this year, the franchise left tackle entrenched there for the next couple of years, protecting these young, fresh quarterbacks that they're gonna have for at least the next couple of years. I think that is kind of a crucial combination. You can trust if, if you if he is what we think he could be and he really thrives as the left tackle becomes like a first team all Big Ten kind of left tackle what that means as far as providing security for the whole offense, but especially for these quarterbacks and kind of laying, helping lay the foundation for what this program can be in that quarterback relationship for the next several years.
0: I think I agree with you. And I th- I think the texture is like right on the money with, yeah. with the parents Johnson explanation that you just detailed. Um, pro- part of the problem in, or, and, and part of the problem in that, it's hard to find a problem for Ohio State where like losing one guy would be devastating is that there's so much depth, right? Right. Like Julian Fleming comes to mind when you get the number one receiver recruit in the country. But, you know, if he decided to go be a, a violinist or whatever, focus on academics, or if he decided to be a fencer or something, you would just say, well, I guess you just need G. Scott and Jackson Smith and the Jigba and Mookie Cooper and Garrett Wilson and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jaden ba- like Ballard right, and all, right. like all these guys. There's right. so many other answers. I think well, cornerback is interesting because it's like you you always want that next great cornerback in the pipeline, but like I'm not sure who that is right now. Right. And actually, I think it might have already happened because I think maybe – it might have been Clark Phillips, who already decided he didn't quit. He just decided to go to Utah instead of Ohio State. Like, he might have been an answer because, you know, he was a highly rated corner that a lot was expected from, and that's such an important position. Defensive end, there's so much depth. Of course, It would be terrible to lose Zach Harrison or Tyreek Smith, but, you know, you got guys lined up. So left tackle is so vital. And I think we are all just assuming Paris Johnson fights for the right tackle job now and becomes the left tackle for two years after that. They have managed to run some really good left tackles through here um, in recent times. And you can find out very quickly how important left tackle is when you don't have a left tackle. And they really haven't had that problem at Ohio State for a long time. So I think Paris Johnson is the clear answer. But you and I, before we came on the podcast, talked about Maybe there's a guy not on the roster right now that we would throw into this mix. Who are you talking about, Nathan?
1: I was talking about Trevion Henderson.
0: I was talking about Jack Sawyer. Okay. You, and those guys are the top two rated recruits in the class of 2021. Jack Sawyer is a defensive end, ranked as the number three player in the country. Trevion Henderson, a running back, ranked as the number 19 player in the country. Why did you say Trevion Henderson?
1: Well, just because running back has been this sort of problem spot, I guess, for lack of a better term, not in terms of the production, really, I guess, because obviously J.K. Dobbins was there, but just in terms of what the, what the position was going to be. And by landing Trevon Henderson, it brings such, I'm using this word again, security, I think, to this offense. Not that Evan Pryor can not also be a really good running back, but when you're going out and getting someone that by all accounts as a specialist Trevion Henderson is that's someone that can again, be that sort of foundational piece for in an offense for the next three years once he finally gets here. So I guess 21 starting in, in three years. And I was always looking beyond that. So that's what the other reason why I didn't think of someone like Zach Harrison, or Tyreek Smith, just because they may only be around one more year. I mean, Tyreek Smith, in theory, I guess, could be gone after this year if he if, if he blows up. So it was really more guys who were going to have to be here at least 21, 22, and are really kind of helping establish that foothold coming out of this group that is here for at the beginning of Ryan Day's tenure. So for me, Trevion Henderson kind of represents your chance to do what you had with J.K. Dobbins, get what you had with Ezekiel Elliott, that kind of just – number one guy who you have supreme confidence in and you you take that position kind of off the board as far as concerns for a two or three year period and if you if he were to just kind of disappear yes you still have Evan Pryor to fall back on but now it just kind of puts you back in that that place where you are one injury away from I guess to use Ryan Day's word
0: a crisis I think that's a really good answer you know maybe the only answer to that is Evan Pryor right, that they have right. two guys in the class of 21 and and right. Evan Pryor is ranked almost as highly as Travion Henderson. But I, I think you make great points around Travion Henderson. And maybe my Jack, like Jack Sawyer, is the same thing. So Jack Sawyer is ranked as the number three player in the country, but he's also the number three defensive end because the two guys that ranked ahead of him are both defensive ends. Ohio State in 2021 already has the number four defensive end, Tumiche Adelier, and I, I'm terrible at names. I apologize. He's already in the class. He's the number 30 overall player. And people think they might get the number two defensive end, JT Tuamalo. Again, I apologize for the name mispronunciation. But, like, they might end up in 2021 with three of the top four defensive ends in the country. So it's like, oh, no, if Jack Sawyer decided to retire, you know, maybe they'd still be okay. It just feels like Jack Sawyer has been such a given, like, since he was a freshman in high school, practically. I think he got offered as a freshman and it was like, he's going to be a Buckeye for sure. He's a local kid. You, you always want that defensive end pipeline going. And he's just been such a no brainer for so long. Like if he vanished all of a sudden, I think people would be like, what? Um, But I think the point, the interesting point, and it's a really well-framed question by our texter and framing matters so much. It's just a really interesting way to think about it. The point is They just have a lot of depth and there just aren't a ton of answers to this because no matter how good you are at Ohio state, there's often somebody kind of almost as good as you at your position, ready to step in. If something goes wrong.
1: Kind of building off what you were saying before about, you know, how weird it is that you wouldn't say someone like Julian Fleming because there's all that other talent. Well, how weird is it that our answer to this question isn't well, it's CJ Stroud, like the, Quite, you know, possible five-star, in some people's estimates, quarterback that they have coming in this year. Isn't he like the foundational piece of this whole thing for like the several years going forward? Well, kind of, but also they've got Jack Miller and they've also got Kyle McCord coming in after that. So it's weird to not even consider someone as like a five-star quarterback coming in that's here right now, a, a tangible thing. You've already signed him. He's he's on the roster, he's in the program, but you don't even consider him really for a question like this because you have so much so many other what look like not just legitimate but potentially also star options at that position.
0: And it and it just is a different deal. I mean honestly the answer might be Justin Fields, because if you if Justin Fields decided to retire tomorrow, you blow your national championship hopes for 2020 out of the water. Right? I mean like that would be a thing when when it feels like boy, you had this guy in Justin Fields who's so good. There's so much other talent and now you know, you got beat last year in the semifinals and now he retired and there's, and he's not here for this. That actually might be the answer because it feels like the title potential, it's like one, one potential title in hand versus two in the bush, right? It's like that that's right here, right now. Obviously they have everything they need to win a national title. doesn't mean they'll win it, but it's all there. And it starts with Justin Fields. So as important as Paris Johnson or Travion Henderson, or Paris Johnson are, It's like, you know, they could help you win multiple titles down the line, sure. But this guy almost guarantees that you've got a real shot at it right now. So I don't know. You you if you if you were given the choice of who would you lose, you might you might trade three years of Paris Johnson to keep the one year of Justin Fields. You know what I mean? Like even though it's only yeah. one year, man, it's a big year.
1: That that's a fair way to look at it. Because I, and the other thing is what. Does being thrust into this as true freshmen potentially, I mean, f- for Stroud or Miller's development, like what does that mean for the long term? Is could it potentially be a positive? I mean, we've obviously seen true freshmen come in on really talented teams and end up in a national championship game, and that's talent from that ranges from Trevor Lawrence to Jake Fromm, as we've talked about many times here in recent year, just in the last couple of weeks on this podcast. So I, I guess I don't dismiss that the whole thing, Craters. Um, or assume the holding craters, but it certainly makes it much, much more difficult. And I do wonder, you know, right now, both those guys get to kind of grow into this position, learn under fields, learn by watching fields, watching him play, watching him carry himself. I think those are all important things potentially for, for both Miller and Stroud this year. And if they are now instead like kind of hurried into having to be the guy, I, that can also mean they're not the same quarterback they were supposed to be two, three years down the line.
0: A um, couple things I want to mention. The word dynasty, the Ohio State dynasty was used in the phrasing of that question. People have thrown that out. We are going to do a podcast on that. The idea of an Ohio State dynasty. What would it look like? What would it take? How are they set up for it? And, and by dynasty, I think we just mean in some ways, you know, what Bama did. I think they won three or four. What Clemson has done with just like being in the title game year after year, um, winning multiple I'm not sure that in the modern age that that there's much more to being a college football dynasty other than winning, like, two titles in four years. You know, I don't know that you have to win three and five. I don't know. I mean, it's just so hard. I mean, Nathan, would you consider right now that, like, are Clemson and Alabama both, like, simultaneously, like, college football dynasties right now? Or would you, would you not quite give them that moniker?
1: I think Alabama, you would – I think Alabama, yes, they've just won so much under Saban. I don't think it has to be a championship every year for any certain amount of time. It has to be that legitimate championship expectation and then capitalizing on it more often than not. So I think, yeah, I think I would probably call both of those right now. Um, And especially for Clemson, you know, relative to their program history, I think you would definitely call this like a kind of a dynasty era for them. Anytime you've won a couple championships, you've played in a national championship game other multiple times, that qualifies for me. So yeah, I would, I would qualify, but I would say both of those qualify.
0: I hope your ears are, are, are dripping with goodness hearing that conversation topic, because when that text came in from the texter with the word dynasty in it, again, it's a framework. It's different than talking about winning a title. It's different than talking about being good. It's talking about what would have to be in place for this program right now, where it is to set itself up to be one of the great, Teams of in one of the great areas in college football history? Like could they be set up? How realistic is it? What are the things that would have to happen? That's gonna be a Wednesday two and a half hour pod coming up sometime up here because it's such a good question. But for now, we'll get back to our rapid fire questions from the 208. From a journalistic perspective, which is more fun or interesting to cover? And actually I think the word interesting is the better, the better word here. Yeah. Is it success? For instance, a player that you cover winning the Heisman or something like the 2019 season where the team you cover is really good or controversy, for instance, Tattoo Gate or the Zach Smith mess or stuff like that. Um, I have covered my share of both here at Ohio State. Nathan, you have not really had to deal with any controversy at Ohio State yet. I don't know what else has happened in your journalistic career. But from your standpoint, which would you rather be writing about?
1: I mean, I, yeah, when I w- was covering uh, earlier in my career, I've covered teams that won bowl games, but much lesser bowl games than the ones that Ohio state would be going for. I've covered teams that won big 10 basketball championships or reached the elite eight. And I almost think that, I don't know if I, it, it's all kind of relative. Like if, if Purdue had won a Rose bowl or a national championship, maybe the word fun comes into it more. I don't know that I would use that word. You'll probably have a different perspective maybe, but I, like, I don't know if I I don't know if that's does that really stand out because that's what's supposed to happen every so often here, right? Um, but I definitely also wouldn't use the word fun to describe the controversy thing. So I think I think interesting is the better word. Um, and to there, I think it depends because if it's something with some gravity to it, so which to me is like Tattoo Gate, I think had some gravity to it. It was NCA violations. It was a coach who may or may not have been covering things up whatever like though tattoo gate to me qualifies the other example they bring up zach smith to me doesn't qualify there it's just something that's a little bit more frivolous and tawdry and even if that did play a role i mean obviously urban and and gene smith had to serve suspensions and and whatever but i also i mean i i have had to cover some of those things in the past too and and they always kind of leave you feeling a little bit slimy sometimes so um, I think what, what makes it interesting is when they're, when when it seems like something that has some gravity and when it's something that you think changes something about that program or college football going forward.
0: I think that's a good point. I, I think I might. In the end, I think the stuff that was involved with Zach Smith was actually, from a real world perspective, more serious than what was involved with Tattoo Gear.
1: Yeah, right? it, it did cross over more. You're right. It, it, to be fair, it did cross over more into like. It, questions about domestic violence and how those are handled and 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 those sorts of things that, that that's
0: definitely true i probably should should like give up my journalistic credentials but like i'll i'll take the the success is easier i'll tell you that it is um yeah. i am not a newshound bloodhound which maybe i 25 years in my career i shouldn't be admitting i don't get like a I don't have a visceral reaction to like, oh, let's go dig up some stuff and break some news. And, and I didn't, I wasn't obviously around for the Maurice Claret stuff. I certainly was around for the Terrell Pryor stuff. I was around for the Zach Smith, Urban Meyer stuff. and I think I did fine, right? I mean, you know, but but you wake up every day in the midst of that, like thinking like, oh, gosh, what did I miss? What did someone else write yep. about that that I blew it on? Um and and you know again I wasn't out breaking a ton of news but you know I tried I did I did okay on TattooGate. Um, again I've told the story of like you know running down to campus because I saw that that Jim Tressel was speaking to a class and finding him at the Blackwell Hotel one on one and grabbing him before he got into his car and asking him Are you worried about losing your job? And him saying No, why should I be? And then him like losing his job like three days later. Um, I've told the story about being at the Big Ten meetings in Chicago where the ADs and the coaches were there and like trying to find Jim Tressel, and like Jim Trestle, like appearing, jumping into an elevator, me like locking eyes with him and him like motioning to me and me running and like jumping through the elevator doors <laughs> to get in the elevator with Jim Trestle because I could interview him for two minutes on the way up. So, I mean, there are times when it makes you feel like a journalist, um, but it's nerve wracking as heck. And I think the, the other thing is, The way college sports has evolved, and I think you made an important point, Nathan. If the thing that you're covering when it's controversy is like really important stuff, life important stuff, right? Like Larry Nasser kind of important stuff, that's different. I have really come around on the way that amateur athletes are treated by the NCAA. I have almost zero interest in writing about did a kid get a little bit of a thing in in what in a system that I don't think is fair to them right so like I just don't have that much interest in like aha look somebody got a 20 dollar handshake it's like I don't I don't want to write that I don't think it's fair to write that I don't think that that doesn't make the world a better place you know the chase young stuff last year that we all wrote about like I didn't want to dig into that did that make the world a better place trying to figure out who did chase young like give a flight to so that somebody he knows could come watch him in a bowl game like that's not so college sports I mean there's some real stuff with college sports and we know but but the real stuff with college sports is when it's real life when it happens to involve people in college sports but it's not a it's not a rule issue it's a real life someone in in the world is doing something truly wrong so I don't mind covering stuff like that, but but I'm out. I'm pretty out on, like, the next Tattoo Gate, you know, and even, like, the Maurice Claret stuff. I just – what's the point, man? Are we making the world a better place with that stuff? I, I don't think so. So I'll – it's a cop-out, but I'll, I'll take the playoff run in the Heisman. But, frankly, I've had my share of both. That's the one thing, Nathan. When yep. you cover Ohio State for 15 years, you get your share of both. No, I'm, I'm
1: fully aware it's, uh, you know, and I got a taste of it last year with Chase Young where like you're waking up um, and you, you're one of those days you hope that you wake up in time that you're not the last person on the beat to see it when somebody else breaks the news, right? And Leonard Monroe was the first one to report that news. And um, so you, you you immediately wake up and like you've been awake for like literally 45 seconds and you're already starting to write a story because that huge thing has happened. And, and yeah, so I, I got a taste of it right away. And I mean, you can even talk about like, this isn't even Justin Fields coming here had its own level of controversy attached to it. Like Ohio state, it's something I was fully aware of taking this job was that this is going to be maybe not an annual occurrence, but you should probably expect it almost to happen every year and be glad when it doesn't.
0: It is nice when the stakes are high. So I will say if, if the third part of the question was like cover a bunch of average, not exciting stuff, I'll take controversy over that. Right. Extreme success is really fun to cover, but if the choice was between like controversy and a team that goes six and six, I'd probably take controversy. So we are lucky that Ohio State is almost never six and six because I I think that's the hardest thing sometimes to cover as a journalist. Question three from the 405. When it comes to quarterback development, where does Ryan Day rank with Lincoln Riley, the Oklahoma head coach? Better, same, behind? If he's behind, then how wide is the gap? Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray won back-to-back Heisman's and were the first overall pick. They followed up with Jalen Hurts, who was uh, also a Heisman finalist in the second-round pick. But how much of that success is the big bad Big 12 defenses? If it is a lot of that, then would you explain how would you explain NFL teams taking them number one? If our argument is Haskins and Fields, then should we also consider Dabo for the quarterback whisper because of Watson and Lawrence? This is a question from the 405. Basically, let's boil it down succinctly to Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley, how would you rank them in, in terms of their whispery?
1: Well, I think you have to still rank Riley first right Why? now. Why? You've got two Heismans. You've got another guy who was in the mix. Um, you've got two guys who I think in Mayfield and Murray, I would say those are both doing things in the NFL right now that Haskins isn't. Not that they're, like, necessarily blowing the doors off the place yet, but Haskins was a a very big question mark after the end of his first year to the point where we didn't know if Washington was going to also go get another quarterback to replace him. Um, But I also think that the gap may not be that huge because if you just look at what's ahead of Ohio State for just this season, I mean, if Justin Fields goes out and wins a Heisman Trophy and is a top, you know, is the second player taken in the draft next year or something like that, obviously that really shrinks that gap.
0: I think it's possible that NFL success by your former quarterbacks makes you less of a whisperer because it's like, oh, yeah, they're good. That could be fair. That's a fair Uh, way to look at it. I'm almost, I thought when Dwayne Haskins left, what he did in the NFL would give us some indication of was it more, and of course they work together, right? That's the answer. They work together and they make each other better, of course. But. Was it a little more that Ryan Day make Dwayne made Dwayne Haskins look good, or a little more that Dwayne Haskins made Ryan Day look good? And I think so far it seems like it's probably that Ryan Day made Dwayne Haskins look good. A little, a little edge to that side. So when you look at Lincoln Riley, and actually and 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 with the Brown stuff that I write, that is the number one thing that made me nervous about the Browns drafting Baker Mayfield. And I liked Mayfield coming out. I would have picked Mayfield ahead of Josh Allen and and Josh Rosen and Lamar Jackson and Sam Darnold. But I was a little bit worried of like, man, what if it's just that Lincoln Riley can take anybody and make them look awesome, mm-hmm. right? Lincoln Riley, as an offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, and he was hired as the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma because he was already doing his whispering elsewhere at East Carolina. He had Baker Mayfield as an offensive coordinator in 15 and 16. Then he takes over as the head coach. He has Baker Mayfield in 17, Kyla Murray in 18, Jalen Hurts in 19. So Ryan Day is on the similar path, two years as the coordinator. Then you take over as the head coach. He's just two years behind Lincoln Riley. Right. Ryan Day, JT Barrett as a coordinator in 2017. Dwayne Haskins as a coordinator in 2018. Then Justin Fields as the first year head coach in 2019. I think he's there, right? because. The Heisman matters, uh, and we're going to have our – do you want to tease people, drop a little tease in right this very second on what Market Down Monday is going to be for the podcast what the topic is?
1: Market Down Monday this week, our texters have already received the question, um, will Trey Sermon be a first-team All-Big Ten running back?
0: So the reason I wanted you to bring that up is in, re- in getting ready for Market Down Monday, I've been rewatching some of the Trey Sermon highlights that I already watched. And my biggest takeaway is, my God, the Big 12 sucks at defense. <laughs> so in this question from the texter from the 405 saying how much of that is the bad Big 12 defense, it's a little bit of it. And not maybe in terms of success necessarily, but in terms of like Heisman numbers and whatever, it's like, yes, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray winning back-to-back Heismans is awesome. Dwayne Haskins finished third. What Fields finished third? Uh, I can't even remember.
1: That's a great. But
0: they were both guess. finalists. Fourth, so they, right? they were close, fourth. right? So they were they were close. Did Hertz finish second, and Chase finished third, and Fields believe, finished fourth. I think so. Buckeye talk, where we talk <laughs> about information that we could easily look up, but instead we just guess at it. Um, so I think that's close. Now the other point that they were back to back number one picks that matters. So they were good, and I think the, I think Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray are, are both going to succeed at the NFL level. I think Dwayne Haskins still might succeed. I think Justin Fields is going to succeed. So, in terms of like it, it was the the breakdown was better, same or behind? I think it's the same. I don't think the differentiation between where the guys were drafted and where they finished in the Heisman right, ranking, right? Um, Lincoln Riley hasn't won a national title, right? That would maybe put him ahead to me a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think it's close enough that I, I, as much as Lincoln Riley is viewed that way, I think it's fair to to view Ryan Day, if not on the exact same level, very, very close to the exact same level.
1: And the name I didn't mention, I can't remember if you just mentioned it, but but Joe Burrow has to be included in here somewhere, right?
0: Eh, tiny. I mean, he didn't have have a boatload of Burrow, right? I mean, they had a little bit. Again, I don't,
1: Joe we Burrow isn't Joe Burrow podcast, because yeah. of Ryan Day.
0: Correct. So I'd right. give him 25% credit for that. Okay. Um, so my, in the end, mine is same. Would you say that you are Day and Riley the same or Day a little behind or Day a little ahead?
1: I said Day a little behind, but not a, not a huge chasm, and it gets shortened pretty quickly if Fields has a pretty amazing season this year.
0: Next five-minute question. From the two one six, who is your favorite non-Buckeye player that you've gotten to cover, and why? Nathan, you.
1: So obviously, I've only been here for the one year, so I have mostly non-Buckeye players that I've gotten to cover over the past uh, over my career. Um, one of the reasons I was excited to go to Lafayette, Indiana, beyond the fact that I really needed a job then, was because for for being a smaller community, it actually had a really good baseball connection. Then they had three guys during my time there that were all local products that played in the majors. And that was um, a guy named Josh Lindblom, who just went to Korea and now is coming back to the Brewers as a free agent after having, after being like one of the having some of the greatest like Korean baseball seasons of all time. Clayton Richard, who people may remember actually as a, like a backup Michigan quarterback from many years ago, who came back and pitched for prominently the Padres, but also some other teams. And then a guy who's pitching in the Indians bullpen right now Nick Whitgren. And um, all those guys were just, genuinely like really good guys and it was fun to get to know them when you're covering a team on a day-to-day basis you keep a different professional distance a lot of times than if it's like the hometown guy who is in the majors or in the pros or on the pga tour or even you're even off playing major college football basketball whatever um because you get usually like some you just get kind of a different access to them um they're they like talking to the hometown paper It's different than when they have to talk to the local beat writers, and they're kind of your window into another world outside of what you're getting to report on on a daily basis. So those guys kind of jumped out to me as, like, guys that I just really enjoyed um, interacting with and getting to know over the years.
0: So, um, you know, I covered some other stuff before I came here, but I tried to limit this to – the players that I've had at least a minor amount of contact with on the Ohio State beat, so other college football players, mm-hmm. um, and it's hard because you don't get to interact with, with them that much. You get to interact with them a little bit at Big Ten media days if you sit – you know, you should be able to like sort of sit at their table and hang out. And they, have, they don't have at tables anymore. They're more at podiums, but you can get in with the guy and talk to him for, for a while um, if you want to, and so you get a tiny little bit of that. The best chance is like at a bowl. So if you if they're playing in a bowl and you're there for a week and maybe you maybe get two two shots at a guy sometimes, or you know, when it's the media day, it's like, well, Ohio State has a time and then the opposing team has a time. So you're not trying to do buckeyes, you're trying to you're trying to get to know these opposing players so you can write about them. So you get to spend a little more time with them. Um so along those lines, one is Saquon Barkley, and that's only from a distance. But I will always remember when Saquon Barkley came into Ohio Stadium his freshman year, and I was like, what is that? And Sometimes you can't tell, right? I mean, like there's a guy named like Garrett Wolf, I think is his name, who was a running back at Northern Illinois, who was like five nine, who was a really good MAC player back in the day, and he played against Ohio State once. And it's like, oh, yeah, he looks good. Well, it's like he doesn't – that guy doesn't become anything later. Sometimes you can't tell, or I can't tell with my uneducated eye, how good a guy is going to be. But the idea of like, who is that? And then he becomes the number two pick in the NFL draft. I'll always remember thinking that about Saquon Barkley from the first minute I ever saw him. Um, Frank Clark is a guy who is a Michigan player who I remember having just a very entertaining conversation and being at his table at big 10 media days. Frank has had some off field issues, um, in the NFL, but he's turned into a really good NFL player. Uh, and he's a Glenville kid. And I just always have a little bit of a soft spot for the guys from Cleveland. So he was just a very entertaining, interesting guy. And then the guy that I say for a lot of the stuff is Deshaun Watson, the 2016 Fiesta Bowl, just being around him i um, trying to look at him is might he be drafted by the Browns. I talked to his, his, the assistant coaches about him a ton. And you just were around that guy and thought that is the dude. Um, and it just, it, he just seemed like he had it all. He seemed like he had it all. And so I, I'm going to compare Justin Fields a lot, I think to Deshaun Watson over the course of the season. And it's not a specific, skill set necessarily. It's not exactly how they play. But if I compare anybody to Deshaun Watson, that's like the highest compliment I can give them because he did not win a Heisman. He probably should have. He changed the program. The beginning of Clemson, of really Clemson rising up to, to truly compete and win at this level is Deshaun Watson. And I just think he had it on and off the field And I think you got a sense. It didn't take long to get that sense. So I've just always respected and liked him and just keep that in the back of your mind. If you ever, whenever you hear me say Deshaun Watson in terms of Justin Fields, that's me saying, I think Justin Fields has a chance to be as good and as dynamic as any player I've ever seen in college football.
1: How do you compare them? again what you know in a more limited role i guess with doshaun watson but just from a personality standpoint does does something more from that side need to come out of justin this coming year to to truly have that kind of presence
0: i do i think yes i think yes um and that's as much as anything I'll, i'm really looking forward to seeing um it's just an easy way about yourself that I think is the kind of guy that you can inspire your teammates, have your teammates trust you and like you and respect you, and that you handle yourself in a way that you have supreme confidence in yourself, but you're not a jerk, but you're like an interesting guy to talk to. Um, I just think Justin can let it can let it rip a little bit, right? And and Deshaun was not Baker, right? Deshaun wasn't like that. Um, you don't have to be like that to have that kind of charisma, but sure. I think Justin can come along a little bit of a way, and I just think being here another year, um, we may see that. Or he may just be a super low-key guy, which is fine, which is fine. I, I think he has both. I think he has
1: the low-key, but he also, I mean, when I remember doing from the reporting I did on the series we did on him last year, he, like for the QB1 thing, that wasn't something that had to be like forced on him or he was really even had to be talked into from what people told me. Like he wanted to do that. So I don't think he minds that sort of frontline spotlight. And you kind of have to, I guess, if you're going to be a quarterback, especially a quarterback at Georgia or Ohio State or whatever. But I don't, I don't think he seeks out, um, glamour or attention, but I think he's comfortable
0: with a, a, a more uh, prominent presence. And the attention's going to come. It already has come. So he doesn't have to do anything extra to get it. It'll just be very interesting to watch him as he continues. I mean, he's going to be – he's one of the two Heisman favorites from the jump on one of the three national championship favorites from the jump. Um, He's going to have all that on him, and it's going to be really fascinating to watch him try to handle it. Uh, We're going to come back with our last few rapid-fire questions, including my – top five Ohio state recruiting hits of the last five years. It's a great question from a texter. I I took that in a couple different ways, but the guys that they got in recruiting that in getting them winning the battle or getting them to Columbus was a really big deal. And, the recruitment, winning the recruitment was a big deal, and then the payoff for it was a big deal. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Also, the the best meals that we have eaten on the road. Talk about about a little bit about um, Ryan Day. What would it happen if it, what would happen if you went to the NFL and other questions from our tech subscribers. If you want to get in on this stuff, you know how to do it, baby. You've heard it enough times. Most of you, if you haven't subscribed to the text by now, you're probably like, I don't want to. Why do you say it six times a podcast? But the podcast continues to grow. We continue to get a new listening audience, so it's it's mainly for them or I'm just I'm just wearing you down, which again is what I is how I got my wife. I wore her down. Someone texted me or, or tweeted at me today and said, when they started listening to the podcast, they thought I was annoying, and then I wore them down. So that is my strategy. So if you're new, hey, what's this text thing this guy's saying? If you're old, maybe the hundred and twenty third time I'll say it. You'll be like, fine, I'll try it. Fine, Doug. 614-350-3315, 14-day free trial, three ninety nine a month after that. We will be right back on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk, four more texture questions coming your way on our kind of rapid fire. I don't know, sometimes we're more rapid than others. Um, let's try this, a little off topic. What's the best meal you've had while on the road covering a game? please give the school town and restaurant. And I'm just realizing I can't remember the names of the restaurant. So this is like not helpful at all. It's from the 813 Nathan food hipster. Is there a restaurant that stands out to you? So from the big 10
1: days, I, I had two that I really like um, that, that, stand out to me. One is one I try to visit every time I'm back in Minneapolis, there's a fried chicken place called revival. Um, so like it has like hot chicken and like southern cooking, like sides and stuff, it's fantastic. Every time I'm back in Minnesota, I go there. Um, I'm bummed that Ohio State hasn't didn't play there last year, doesn't play there this year, and won't get there until next year. So that's a long time between revival stops for me. I'm trying to find an excuse to get up to Minneapolis between now and then, and uh, it's a great place. I, I highly recommend it. I think there might be more than one location up there, but there's uh, there's it's become kind of a famous place up there. And then also this isn't in the big 10, but it also stands out to me. Uh, One year I was covering a, my two favorite cuisines that I think I've talked about here are barbecue and Indian food. And I'm probably not going to get sent to like Bombay to cover football anytime soon, but, or basketball, but you do occasionally get sent to Kansas city. I was covering an NCAA regional in Kansas city and we went to a place called Q39. There's obviously a lot of really good barbecue places in, Kansas City but that one was one that like literally everybody I was with all the other guys on that beat just kind of blew us away how good that was and uh looking forward to getting back to Kansas City and going to that place
0: um when Bielick was still on the beat Bielick and I went one time when Ohio State was playing at Nebraska we flew into Kansas City and so we got barbecue at some gas station it's like (laughs) it was probably still pretty good well, like the whole thing is like, oh, it used to be a, it's a gas station and they just had barbecue. And then the barbecue is so good that like the barbecue like overtook the gas station. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like I, I guess this, this I guess should be informational that helps people and isn't just us like talking about stuff. So that's why probably the person wanted us to say the restaurant because then people listening to the podcast could go to the restaurant. So along those lines, this is just from my college days, but you guys know I went to Northwestern. There's a Wings place called Buffalo Joe's in Evanston that I think is, is like really good. Um, And so I would highly recommend that if you're recovering, uh, attending a Ohio state game in Northwestern. But when we were on the road and went to Oklahoma in 2016, Ari and Bill and I first, we ate at a Mexican place. We flew into Dallas. It was terrible. Sometimes (laughs) the things I'll do to try to save a buck, we like flew into Dallas and then drove to Oklahoma city and then slept in a hotel and then drove to Norman. And then we got like two hours sleep. But we ate at a Mexican restaurant near the Dallas airport that was like one of those local Mexican restaurants that was like practically it felt like it was in somebody's house. It had like four tables, and I love a chili relleno, like the stuff like, you know, mm-hmm. rice and chicken stuffed in the pepper. Best one I ever had. Tremendous. And I tried to look it up to tell you what it is, but I can't remember. But then also on that trip, I think in Oklahoma City – we went to a place where you had to like become a member of the restaurant to eat there. It was, <laughs> it was like a meat membership to eat at this barbecue restaurant. Like it's like a five dollar membership. That's like a big thing I think in Utah. There's a lot of places. I remember that one from covering the bulls of like you have to like join the bar to go in the bar because it's like a private club somehow. So this is like a oh, private. Right. This is like a private meat club that Ari and Bill and I joined so we could go in and shove meat in our faces. And it was quite good. So, um, you know, there's a lot of good places around the Big Ten. But again, I will just tell you, most Big Ten cities do have a Chili's. So keep that in mind. Nathan, before we leave this topic, in when you were covering Purdue basketball, for instance, and now when we go on road trips, do you prefer to try to find a local eating establishment, or are you good, you know, hitting up a, a Texas Roadhouse or a Lone Star Steakhouse?
1: You know, I think it depends on where I'm staying. If I'm staying in the city, and because sometimes you, especially if it's a drive, or even sometimes if it's a flight. Actually, I should take that back. Because a lot of times, even if it's a flight, I will stay by the airport. Because if I'm flying out like the next morning, I want the shortest amount of time between my bed in the airport. So there I do sometimes tend to just take whatever's closest. But if I'm staying in the city, I've already made the the effort to go in and stay in the city. I will try to usually find something local just to get, just to get part of the, the no pun intended, the flavor. Like you get, I think you get a sort of a sense of the city by going to something local.
0: I agree with that and I like that. I I like finding like local pizza places especially and in college towns. I mean, a lot of time we're going to college towns a lot of the time. So it's like college towns have cool local places. So I do enjoy doing that. I will say, and I would recommend this to anyone after a long work day, whatever your job is. And if you can swing it and I can't swing this all the time. Um, but it's a little bit of a treat. It is among – and I've done it multiple times. A lot of times it's like when it will be leaving like a Michigan State road game or a Michigan road game, maybe like a noon start when you got to the stadium at like 9.30 or 10. You cover the game. You don't get out of there until like 8 or 9 o'clock at night, and now you're driving back to Columbus because that's how often it will work. If there's like a noon start or Michigan or Michigan State, you'll drive on Friday night, stay there Friday night, wake up early Saturday, get to the stadium, cover the game, and then drive home. Have a three or three, three and a half hour drive home late Saturday night. And I've done this multiple times where it's like it's 8 45. You have a three and a half hour drive ahead of you, and I'll stop to eat at like a Lone Star Steakhouse. And I get my like eight ounce sirloin with a baked potato and a salad. And it's the best meal I've ever had because <laughs> you're exhausted. You flop into the booth. You know, you have a long drive ahead of you. And like chain restaurant sirloin steak, well done. Oh my God, does it go down smooth? So even if you don't like chain restaurant steak and you don't like well done steak after a long day at work, and again, I, you know, it's like $16.99 or something. You can't do it every day. I would just recommend try it. It's the Doug Marie special. Tell them you know me and maybe they'll give you a discount. Ryan Day and the NFL question from the 937. Is there a chance that Ryan Day is gone by 2022? The idea that Day wants to turn Ohio State into QBU is sort of contingent on him being in the building. If he goes, there is no guarantee that QBU is a sustainable project. Additionally, could a Luke Fickle or a James Franklin be primed for an NFL move? Fickle seems blocked for his dream job until at least Day is gone. If Day is there in 2022 or beyond, does Fickle seem like a prime NFL candidate to boost the resume? I think I don't know that I see Luke Fickle. I think Luke Fickle, if he feels like he's blocked forever at Ohio State, will wind up at a bigger college job. You know, he he had a cup of coffee like in an NFL camp. Doesn't doesn't mean you can't go get to the NFL, but like a lot of times the NFL right now is like looking for innovators. And I don't know that Luke Fickle's an innovator. I think Luke Fickle is more like a a leader and like an inspiring and connect with players guy. I just think he's a college guy and I don't know that he would disagree with that, but Ryan day in the NFL, we talk about this constantly on here because everybody knows the deal, but, but this framework, Nathan, the idea, could it be gone by 2022 that quickly? Yes or no?
1: I'm taking him at his word and this is always dangerous and I'm probably really naive, but just the way he's answered that question since I've been around this program. I would take him at his word that he's looking beyond a couple years here. Um, I, but now, having said that, if it was a really special opportunity, the Patriots, whatever, obviously I think he would have to take a look. I would suggest that he take a look. I mean, that would seem like something you'd have to do for your family, just for yourself. But I don't see him just grabbing the next – I guess I don't see him doing the – um the Baylor to Panthers kind of thing. You know what I mean? I think it's got to be a, it would have to be a special opportunity because I think he feels like Ohio state is a a pretty special opportunity. It's not just a college job.
0: So you're referencing Matt rule, Matt rule. Yeah. Who was the Baylor coach and is now the Carolina Panthers head coach. Um, He had been targeted by a lot of people. He was a a former assistant coach with Ryan day, Pete family from Yahoo sports. wrote a story about that last year. They were together at temple. I think. A lot of people had targeted Matt rule for the NFL, but a job like Baylor is a get out while the getting's good kind of job. Cause you right. worry, I think as a coach, can I sustain this? And so Baylor had a really good year last year, went to the big 12 championship game. And so Matt rule in that moment is as hot as he's going to get, what's he going to do Win the national title at Baylor. He's not, that's peak Baylor. And so I think when you're at a place like that, you say, well, Maybe I better jump now before I string together some four and eight seasons here at Baylor, which at a place like Baylor can just happen, even if you're a good coach. Ohio State's not like that. Ohio State, you don't have to jump at the first time you have success because you are not worried about it falling off the cliff. You are not worried, oh, man, we had a couple injuries. We had a bad recruiting class or two, and all of a sudden, I'm no longer a hot candidate, right? So I don't think you have to worry about that with Ryan Day. And then the other thing that's on the the side of Ohio State fans is Ryan Day's age. He's so young. He can put in a good decade at Ohio State and still have plenty of time to test himself and prove himself in the NFL. I always say pay attention to the ages of the kids. Coaches talk about it a lot. I think it is among the most real off-the-field things that guys take into consideration. A lot of times in coaching, you don't have a choice. You get fired, it's not your choice. A job comes open that you know is never gonna come open again for a long time and you either gotta go now or go never. You don't really have a choice. Ryan Day is not gonna be in that spot, right? Because even if Bill Belichick retired tomorrow, it's like, well, is the guy taking over for Bill Belichick gonna be there for 25 years? Or can I wait out that guy? I don't think there's any NFL job that Ryan Day would feel like he has to jump at. If the Cowboys called, would he be like, oh my God, if I don't go now, I'll never coach the Cowboys. I don't think you'd have to think that way. And so he's so young. I mean, whatever, he's 41, I think. And his kids are young. His kids are young. And the idea of like trying to get your kid through high school at your job, once you hit the job where you can stay, allowing that kid to grow up in a school district is a huge thing for a lot of coaches. Or at least get to like, well, let's get through middle, you know, it's hard to move. And a lot of you out there moved when you were young or have as an adult, you've moved your kids. And sometimes you do what you have to do. And it's great for the family, but it's, it's usually hard to move. It certainly has been a consideration in my life as I've thought about jobs. I thought about moving around more when I was younger. Now my kids are teenagers. You couldn't, you couldn't pull me out of Columbus with a crowbar. So I just think like a good 10-year run makes a lot of sense for all the reasons that Nathan said, which is that Ryan Day is saying it. But the idea of like, would you be worried that he'd be gone in 2022? Family, stay. Situation at Ohio State that you don't have to jump early, stay. And then the curiosity of like, I want to see how good we can be. So even like, well, he, he probably at least wants to see if he can win a national title. So I don't think he'll be looking to leave before a national title. But once he wins one, And we just used the D word earlier in this podcast. Wouldn't you want to stick around, Nathan, and see what you can build? Can I build a mini dynasty here? I think he wants to take a gigantic swing in Columbus. And like three years at Ohio State, four years at Ohio State isn't a gigantic swing. I think you can worry about losing Ryan Day when he wins so much. This is what happens with coaches. You either win so much, there's nothing left to prove. Or you reach the point where you realize, I can't win at that level here. I've hit the ceiling. I don't think either of those is close at Ohio State for him.
1: And I think he's also probably seen someone like Nick Saban, for instance, who went to the NFL and saw that it's a very different world and came back to college. And now is, who even remembers it? How many people out there who are actually pretty big college football fans even remember or know that? Nick Saban had a two-year stint coaching the Dolphins. Like, I think it's almost like this forgotten thing in between him just piling up national championships and being considered maybe the greatest college football coach of all time. Certainly, like, the most, you know, the, the most accomplished coach of all time, winning national championships at multiple places and just the abundance of them. Um, I, I, I don't know. Ryan Day might be more cut from that cloth, someone who sees that you can go to a place like Ohio State – do just insanely well for your family and then also achieve these other things that, that elevate you to this level. I mean, think of all the head coaches that have just cycled in and out of the NFL in the time that Nick Saban has been back at Alabama just winning all these national championships. I, I, I don't know why that isn't seen as just as desirable an option as going and taking your shot. And in a situation where, yes, I know it's the highest level of football and that there's a certain part of that that probably draws any coach you want to go prove yourself at the highest level, but it's such a different situation. Everything is built towards parity, where the deck is not stacked for you. And at Ohio State, in so many ways, the deck is very stacked for Ryan Day.
0: I have a little bit of a rebuttal to that hard MIDM question, market Down Monday type of question. And we'll have to just stick around for like 30 years to get the answer. Will Ryan Day ever be an NFL head coach, yes or no? Yes, I think a hundred percent. Yes. And so here's my little bit of a pushback on, on what you said about, you know, you see guys like Nick Saban who go and it's a different world and you don't succeed. I think a guy like Ryan day, the smartest guys think, well, that doesn't apply to me. And Ryan day is a game planner. He's a strategist. He's a guy who wants to devise offenses. And there's almost Nathan something I think to the idea of, yeah, I mean like everything is stacked in Ryan day's favor at Ohio state which is awesome, right? Wouldn't you rather have the DAC stacked for you than against you? Because in college football, the DAC is almost, the deck. the deck is almost always stacked. It's, there's just, there isn't parity. It's either stacked your way or the other way. In the NFL, it's not stacked. I think at some point with a guy like Ryan Day, either you hit the ceiling, like maybe Harbaugh, Michigan, you hit the ceiling and think, well, we're never gonna break through here. Let's get out of here. Or you do break through, you win, and then you think, man, I'm winning, but am I winning only because I have the best players? Let me go into the NFL where there is parity, and let's see if I can win when it's equal. Let's see if I am smarter. Am I more clever? Is my game plan better? Is my offensive design more advanced? And I just think, and I did this this doodling story with Ryan Day last year. He His mind never stops thinking about calling offensive plays. And he just – Urban, I think, is a little different than that. Or at least by the time Urban got to Ohio State, he wasn't that way anymore. Urban was much more the relationship, leadership, how do you build kind of stuff. He wasn't an offensive schemer and a doodler as much anymore. I think Ryan Day will feel something in his soul – If he never takes that shot at the NFL, because I think he has an extreme belief in himself and he should. And I think he'll want to test it out in a world where if you win in the NFL, you know, you have a lot to do with it because you don't just get to recruit all the best players. Last two questions. We're going to finish up with what the headline of this podcast was. The five biggest recruiting hits at Ohio State in the last five years. But first from the 813, another NFL question. Not sure if it's just me, but I find it strange when college fans obsess over what their college team players do in the NFL. For instance, as a Buckeye fan, I love all the players on the team and root for them through thick and thin. That said, once they graduate or declare for the NFL, they no longer provide me any value unless they go to the NFL team I root for. I know this is specific to every college fan base, but why do so many Buckeye fans obsess about what certain guys do at the next level or obsess over teams that have a few Buckeyes? Yes, I want them to do do well, But unless they play for my NFL team, then I really don't care. I will even root against them if they play on a team that rivals my NFL team. What are your thoughts on that? Am I crazy? Nathan Baird.
1: I don't know if you're crazy. I guess I I, I sort of of see where someone is only a fan up through – The end of their careers. I will say though, I understand why people, I mean, with college teams, with college players, I think you build, even in the transfer era, I think you build more of a personal connection with guys. Sometimes as a fan, you get to, I mean, you can see them walking around town in a different way. They're not millionaire superstars yet and, and don't maybe have the same unattainability to them in terms of just being human beings. They're kind of still down at your level. They're college kids, right? So I think they that connection gets built a little bit more at the college level. You went to that school a lot of times, or you grew up in Columbus. So it's, there's a different connection. The other thing though, is I, people maybe realize this too. I mean, I mean, who's a better advertisement for bringing wide receivers to Ohio state right now? Is it, Ben Victor and Austin Mack, or is it Michael Thomas? I mean, like when guys go on and succeed at the, at the NFL level, it helps your program.
0: I think the my specific answer on this as it relates to Ohio State is that I think if this texture is feeling this now, and I, I can't tell, I don't know if Ohio State fans are any more obsessed. It didn't used to be this way. Actually, like in somewhat recent years, it wasn't like the NFL was just absolutely filled with NFL studs from Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And so if people are embracing it now and if people are, are fired up about Nick Bosa helping the 49ers get to the Super Bowl as a rookie, or if they're fired up about Denzel Ward being a starter from day one with the Browns, or they're excited about all these guys, Marshawn Lattimore winning defensive rookie of the year, or um, Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott, Michael Thomas, all from that draft class being just incredible talents. Taylor Decker, you know, anybody you want to name. Ryan Shazier. I think it's in part because there was a time when Ohio State fans didn't have that as much. Mm -hmm. And I often talk about that. It's like, if you would have gone through, who are the studs, the, the NFL stars from, the big 10 there was a time where it's like well Michigan had Tom Brady and Purdue had Drew Brees and Seattle had or, or, the Wisconsin had Russell Wilson even though he's a fake Badger and there you could go through and it was like the best Ohio State guy like didn't compare to that but now Joey Bosa and Ezekiel Elliott Michael Thomas especially Michael Thomas Ezekiel Elliott Nick Bosa I mean they're as good as anybody in the league at their positions and they're so young Marshawn Lattimore is good as anybody it's a little new and, like, Ohio State fans are used to succeeding at everything. There was just this stretch. It doesn't mean there weren't some good players, right? I mean, we know that. Cam Hayward was good. A.J. Hawk was productive, right? A.J. Hawk wasn't an absolute NFL superstar. Ted Kinn Jr. was productive and has had a really long, successful career. He's not, like, a an NFL superstar necessarily, right? I mean, like, the late Will Smith, he had a good NFL career. But, to me, if you are feeling that now, Charles Bentley, really good player, his career cut short in the NFL. If you're feeling that now, maybe part of it is because Ohio State fans are overreacting to the guys who are now NFL stars because there was a period of time where there weren't as many Ohio State guys who were NFL stars. That makes sense. I was always fascinated by it. I wrote a lot about that like 10 years ago. All right, last one. This is mostly going to be me and my list because uh, this is kind of an old guy thing. But then Nathan can, can critique my list. And I'm breaking this question into two parts because I didn't have time to do the second part. From the five one three, tremendous, tremendous question. What is the biggest recruiting hit and miss in the last five years? And then what do you think could be the biggest hits and misses in the 2021 and 2020 recruiting classes? For example, the Terrell Pryor recruiting win is the biggest ever in my mind because we beat out Michigan and probably put the nail in Rich Rod's coaching coffin before he even got started. And so I am doing the five biggest hits of the last five years, and I'm going to do the five biggest misses on a later podcast next week. And I promise we'll get to it next week. But Nathan, this is how I characterize this. It is about the recruiting win itself. And then the guy had to make an impact at Ohio State. But like, for instance, I don't have like Nick Bosa on this list because like, well, Nick Bosa, his brother was here and like his his uncle went to Ohio state. So it wasn't the world's greatest recruiting win to like get Nick Bosa here.
1: You know what I mean? Like that's right. Or like, like, I mean, is like Jack Sawyer, is that like a big recruiting win? Cause it seems no, like that yeah. guy was ready to be here from the time he was like seven years old or whatever. Like he was ready to be an Ohio state football player.
0: So there's some very specific things. So I'm trying to think of like impact once they got here, but then also the win in the recruiting battle itself and who you beat and how you went about winning it. Um, And the second thing is, Nathan, when we talk about misses, to me, that miss, and I guess I could ask the texter, I'm more interested in guys who did not wind up at Ohio State, that the miss was in you didn't get them here, Mm -hmm. not the miss in terms of like the guy got here and then he he wasn't as good as his recruiting rating. Is that how you would interpret that question?
1: In football, I think that you do interpret it almost exclusively that way because you're recruiting so many guys in a class. I suppose if you were talking about quarterback, you could make the argument that you get the wrong guy and it's a miss. But in in football, you're getting so many guys per class that I don't know that any one guy should just cripple you, right? In basketball, sometimes you have such a small class, you go get the wrong guy and it sets you back a year or two.
0: Yeah, you you pick, oh, we could have had this guy, but we picked this guy over him. But I don't want to just go through and list all the five-star recruits that wound up at Ohio State and then weren't stars, right? We kind of all know that. I'd rather, when I do the misses list, like, hey, they were really interested in this dude, and he didn't come. And then, like, he wound up as a really good player somewhere else. And actually, he really would have helped Ohio State had he come. That's the miss that I think is more interesting. So we'll get to that next week. These are my five hits. All guys in the current roster. And I don't have them in order of importance because they're all important in their own way. Uh, what is Julian Fleming? Class of 2020, top-ranked receiver. You go to Pennsylvania. You beat Penn State for him. Brian Hartline shows what he can do. You are trying to have an offense that is taking the next step under Ryan Day. Receiver is more important than ever. and And you steal him from Penn State's backyard, basically. And then if Julian Fleming goes to Penn State you're going to have to cover him for three or four years. Instead, you're going to be throwing it to him for three or four years. Just to do that, to beat your greatest rival in your conference for a guy who is that talented, to me, Julian Fleming's a no-brainer on this list. Does that make sense to you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think if you're talking about a recruiting win, it has to be, have been a real battle, and there has to have been a consequence to it. And this is like the epitome of that. You're going head-to-head with the team that – may be your biggest challenger it's in their backyard and you stole a difference making guy not steal i hate using that term i'm gonna take that back you didn't steal him you went in and you presented your case and they presented their case and the guy picked you
0: class of 2019 garrett wilson number 20 overall recruit in the country they get him out of texas and again we have the long list you could put a lot of the texas guys on here right to get a jeff okuda out of texas Wow, what an amazing thing. But when they got Baron Browning and J.K. Dobbins and Jeff Okut out of Texas, Texas was a little down. This is kind of the transition from Ryan Day to Urban Meyer. Ryan Day goes there and makes sure they don't lose Garrett Wilson. We know how interested Tom Herman and and Texas. That's like a program-changing guy if Texas gets him to stay. Instead, here he is, and look at the role we think Garrett Wilson's going to play as a sophomore. He's sort of that next level explosiveness, and to get him out of Texas at a time when the University of Texas is trying to get its feet under itself, and you wind up in this transition from Ryan Day to Urban Meyer, and you get him to hang on and stick around, I think is a huge recruiting win, and I think it's going to have a huge impact in what we see the next two years. What do you think, Nathan?
1: Yeah, and that's sort of the other flip side of this, right? There's the local battles that you might have with someone like Penn State where you're crossing the borders. But then there's also when you can go on a national level or a larger regional level, but, I mean, this definitely a national level for someone like him, and and get a, a difference-making guy, an impact guy. Those guys who, if you don't get him, one of the other people at your tier, in this case, you know, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, or the people who are just below that, Those are the guys who are going to end up with him if you don't get him. And to go win those battles is what makes a difference sometimes between whether or not you're in the playoff or not.
0: This is a completely different kind of hit. Class of 2018, Chris Olave, the number 399 overall player in that class. We all know the story. Ryan Day's in California looking at Jack Tuttle, a quarterback prospect. And he says, who's that guy that Jack Tuttle's throwing to? And it's Chris Olave. This is a hit that, you stumble into a situation and you keep your eyes open and look at what Chris Olave has become. Look at what Chris Olave did in the Michigan game as a freshman. Look at what he did for this offense last year as a sophomore. Look at what's expected as him from him as a junior. He's a 399 recruit in the country. He's from California. He's a three star kid. And Ryan Day says, Who's that? Let's make him a Buckeye. That is a different kind of hit, but it is the kind of hit that's just as important as winning a battle for a five-star is being able to identify a three-star that can become what Chris Olave has become when there's no reason for that kid to be here. That kid should be at Arizona State or UCLA or something. Why is Chris Olave a Buckeye? There's some luck involved, but you also have to be prepared to take advantage of your luck. So that's why Chris Olave is on my list, Nathan.
1: Yeah, and I think if you're when you're talking about playoff contention too, it's sort of like there's different levels of this, right? You have to recruit at that, get those kind of five-star players to keep your kind of advantage in the Big Ten, your dominance in the Big Ten. You're going to Ohio State seems to be getting a lot of more of those than all the other programs combined sometimes. But then a lot or multiple elite teams that are doing that in a given cycle, in a given year, in a given era. So at that level, I almost think. To separate yourself from Clemson, from Alabama, who did you find that nobody else knew about? Clemson figured out Isaiah Simmons when a lot of other people didn't. Ohio State figured out Chris Olave when a lot of other people didn't. And those could be the guys who are making a difference whether that team is still playing at the end of the year or not.
0: Number four on my list, class of 2017, Wyatt Davis, number 24 overall player in the class, Greg Sudrawa ends up sitting on Wyatt Davis's street in his car. Wyatt Davis, like, lives in the same neighborhood as USC coach Clay Helton. They're trying to make sure they lock down Wyatt Davis. Again, Wyatt Davis falls on their lap a little bit. This kid who's from a football family, um, his grandfather is Hall of Famer, the late Hall of Famer Willie Davis. His dad played college football as an actor. Th- this family knows what's up with college football recruiting and with, and with the game of football and Wyatt Davis, they just swing by, they visit Ohio State, and Wyatt Davis is like, I'm interested in that place. So Wyatt Davis reaches out to them, but they they win it. Again, when the opportunity presents itself, they win it. And like, you know, this guy's good It's a top 50 national recruit as an interior offensive lineman, right? You know he's good. But did anyone know he was this good? That guy's this guy's probably the best guard in the country for the for the 2020 season. And he probably shouldn't be here. Why is he here? He's from California. So to to be whatever you are that interests a guy like that, and then you stave off USC and Clay Helton in the neighborhood, and then you help him to develop into the best guy at his position in the country, absolutely makes this list for me. Your thoughts, Nathan?
1: Yeah, again, going back to kind of what I said before with having that national presence, you've got to be able to go into other regions of the country if you're going to compete at the level that, Ohio state wants to compete at to truly be a national contender. You've got to recruit nationally and you've got to recruit in a meaningful way nationally. And this is kind of the epitome of it. They put in the legwork. uh, They identified a guy, they built a relationship too though. And that's difficult. I think it's more difficult to build these relationships, you know, getting someone like Enoch Vamahi from Hawaii, getting, um, you know, the the other guys that they've gotten from the far Western places, sometimes places aren't as easy to get to as Los Angeles, California, building those relationships can be tough and, that's where I give them a lot of credit for going in and and doing that, not just with these guys, but with C.J. Stroud, with other guys. They're, they're, they continue to find these guys out west. G. Scott, I mean, it's it's not easy necessarily beyond whether the kid wants to make that long trip. You've still got to be able to, to build a relationship in a way that isn't the same as going to see Paris Johnson, going to see Jack Sawyer. I mean, those guys are close. You can The, the contact is a little bit easier there than when it's half a continent away. Um, even with technology and, and to, to get them with the kind of regularity that they're getting them, I think is impressive.
0: So I have three super highly ranked guys and two lower ranked guys on this list. So I'm throwing Nathan a bone. The last guy is a lower ranked guy. And I think I was really thinking about this today as I put him on the list. I think the most underrated guy on the roster potentially, because we probably don't talk about him enough. Maybe because he's not, he's not an all American. But he is a solid dude at an incredibly important position. And as we said earlier in this podcast, if he wasn't here and if they were grasping at straws to figure out who would be playing this position instead of this guy, we'd really notice the hole that he maybe would have left if he didn't wind up here. Can you guess who I'm talking about, Nathan, as I'm describing this this recruit, this lower ranked recruit who is is not an All-American? but is a solid starter at a super important position and was the number 285 ranked prospect in the class of 2017.
1: Is it, I'm not even looking that up. Is it Thayer Munford? It is Thayer Munford.
0: Lower ranked prospect, talented dude. They hung in with him. He went from Southwestern Ohio up to Massillon during his high school career. Moved in with the Moore family up there. A great personal story of of what the decisions that Thayer and his mom made in his best interests, and going to a new school like that. And there were just some questions when he was was a recruit of like, was everything gonna be sort of lined up academically and everything else? You have a transfer like that. You have a guy who's who's moving situations like that. Like, is everything gonna line up to allow him to be part of this class? Because he sort of seems like a talented dude, but sometimes. When things are difficult, teams just say it's like, we're not going to, we can't wait, or it's not Mm -hmm. worth it. We're not going to, well, sorry, you're a good kid, but you're not for us. And I think that could have happened with Thayer Munford. This guy is going to be a three-year starter at left tackle. That is at Ohio State University. That is unbelievable. It makes me want to look how many guys have been three years starting left tackles at Ohio State. Taylor Decker. No, I guess he went went pro after his junior year, though, did he? He was 13 and 14. I don't know. Maybe not Taylor Decker. Such credit to both Thayer Munford, most of it to Thayer Munford, but for Thayer Munford and Ohio State working together to make this work because as good as they are, right, they would have figured it out. But, like, I don't know. Like, there's not an obvious candidate of who would have been the left tackle if not him. And you can say, well, it just would have been the guy they got instead of him. This guy's 285 in the country. They weren't going to get some five-star left tackle instead of him. They would have had to find some other guy in the low 200s to try to be the left tackle. He has locked down that position for going into his third year. And he's not Wyatt Davis. And he's not Josh Myers. And he's not Paris Johnson. But he has done the job at a really important position as a kid ranked in the low 200s. And again... You've got to make the five stars work, but nobody has a roster of only five stars. And you've got to find guys who aren't five stars who can help you win. And I think Thayer Munford is the epitome epitome of that. And Nathan, you love it, baby. I know you love that. (laughs) Like I
1: was saying before, I mean, I think those are the guys. I mean,
0: even look at last year's
1: team. You people like Damon Arnett. I mean, you've got to have those five stars, but you know, like. Alabama's got five stars Clemson's got five stars LSU's gonna have five stars Georgia's got five stars yeah you have to go get that elite talent to play at that level but oftentimes to win those games I think it's coming down to as much as the guy you got in the three four fives as the guy that you got in you wrote about it right you wrote about it at the draft that those guys it's maybe not even so much those intermediate guys you've got to go find those guys that nobody else knows about and make them frontline players
0: so there's a million guys you could put on this list, but like Chase Young to me, it's like, well, Chase Young, he's from the DMV, an scenario Ohio State recruits successfully. They have Larry Johnson. He wants to come play for Larry Johnson. They get Chase Young, right? I mean, there's, that's not super complicated. Dwayne Haskins, they got by accident because the guy they recruited first at quarterback decommitted and went to Oregon to be a receiver, right? Justin Fields, they didn't recruit. So it's not Justin Fields. So that, you know, Jeff Okuda, J.K. Dobbins, you can run through the list of great players from Ohio State in the last five years. And you could add almost anybody to those. But to me, these were wins that the the way they won the recruiting battle, it was a tough battle. They beat a hometown team or they dug out a kid that maybe they they easily could have looked past. So that's that's why I ranked those five. What we'll do for the five misses, great chance to be a tech subscriber. I'm gonna send it out to the tech subscribers. Send me a miss of the last five years. Maybe it's Jackson Carmen, right? Maybe it's Clark Phillips. Maybe it's guys like that. But who's the guy that you really wish they would have gotten, you thought maybe they should have gotten, who then it turns out you could say, look, he would have filled that hole. Even if it's not a hole, but right there, he would have been better than what they have and they could have used that. Let's try to find five of those in the last five years. We'll do that on next week's podcast. Coming Monday, Mark It Down Monday, all about Trey Sermon. That'll still just be me and Nathan because we pre-recorded for Monday. But then starting Tuesday, back to the three-man pod. Stephen will return, Stephen, Nathan, and Doug. And then on Wednesday next week, we're going to go back to having the opponent preview on the Big Wednesday pod. We did Michigan State this week on Thursday. We're going to do Penn State next week on Wednesday, and we're going to delve hard into everything about this Penn State team, the Penn State program, the Ohio State-Penn State rivalry, Penn State recruiting, the future of Penn State. We know from... Some of the podcasts we did this week that Ohio State fans respect, respect Penn State. So we're going to have a really good time looking at that. That's the, probably the biggest game of the year at Penn State, it's the seventh game of the season, and that's what we'll preview next Wednesday. So as always, thanks to you guys for hanging with us. The, the, we haven't had a, nice, a new review for a while. It's kind of an old one hanging out there that we love. It's a five-star. It says that that person doesn't like Pizza Hut. It's like greasy cardboard. But I have a big enough ego. Nathan, I am constantly checking what the latest review is on Apple Podcast. You do you go in there and check that very often?
1: I, I haven't, no. I figure you'll tell us.
0: Your ego is smaller than my ego, which I don't think we needed this as proof no, of that, because I, you, it's it's very hard to have a bigger ego than me. But I'm <laughs> in there a lot, baby. So I would like to go in there and see a new review, even if it's mean. Because sometimes we all learn from mean. But I like it better when it's a five star. So drop those reviews at apple Podcasts. read cleveland.com.com slash osu try the text 614-350-3315 make sure you're subscribed to Buckeye Talk so you don't miss any of them and get ready on Monday mark it down Monday we will be back talking about whether Trey Sermon is going to be a first team all big 10 running back in 2020 for now on behalf of Nathan Baird I'm Doug Maurice. thanks to you guys for listening and that was Buckeye Talk